Well, good morning again, and I want to say happy Mother's Day again, but this is not going to be a Mother's Day sermon. I know most of you are probably not surprised, but uh, we are going to be continuing in Luke chapter 6, and uh, there will be an application to motherhood toward the end of the message, and um, you know, I do preach through um, a book at a time. I preach expositorily, and I go verse by verse. And so I normally don't. Some I, I don't always not do this, but I normally don't preach a a special message for whatever holiday it is. But it seems like the Lord always kind of works it out that way to where. There's a really strong application or tie to whatever it is we're recognizing on the holiday when it comes up. This one is not so much, but there is a there is a pretty good application toward the end of it. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 49. Seeing and entering the kingdom. And uh, the equipping hour really... Set me up pretty well for this, especially the discussion about seeing Jesus and seeing the truth and seeing Christ and how this sight is not something natural to us. It has to be given to us. And uh, so that's, that's going to be the focus. I'm just going to tell you up front. The focus of our message today is going to be sight. So think about everything that we talk about in terms of sight. I'm going to pray and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Father, we just thank you again for this day, and I thank you for this opportunity to to exalt Christ. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for, for bringing us here today to worship you together. I pray that you speak, that you teach us from your word, and that you be glorified in, in, in all of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So... We've been going through Luke chapter 6 for a while, and we've had several sermons. Um, I'm going to kind of recap a little bit, going back to verse 20. Um, Well, actually, I'm going to go back even a little farther. Um, Beginning at verse 20, we've been going through a sermon that Jesus preached. This is a sermon that he preached that scholars commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Plain, not to be confused with the Sermon on the Mount, but it was a sermon that Jesus preached, and he said a lot of the same things in this sermon that he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of them he said differently with different applications. But it started about verse 20. In verses 12 through 19, Jesus is up on the mountain all night praying, remember? He was up on the night, up on the mountain praying all night, and then... He chose his 12 apostles, his foundation stones for this kingdom, the spiritual kingdom of God that he's bringing to earth. And he comes down off the mountain, and in verse 20, there's a multitude that is gathered down on this plain. They've come to see Jesus. They've come to see this guy who's been working miracles and healing people and who's been preaching They come to see him and to hear him, and so he comes down off the mountain with his twelve apostles that he's chosen, and he begins to preach in verse 20. 
And in verses 20 through 26, Jesus drew a contrast. He made a contrast between what a citizen of the kingdom of God looks like versus what a citizen of the world looks like. And then in verses 27 through 36, Jesus is going to put forth an ethical standard for citizens of his kingdom. And this standard is what distinguishes his citizens of his kingdom from the citizens of the world. And basically that standard is Jesus Christ himself. He's the standard. And he shows us this ethical standard and we're to imitate him. We're to imitate him by loving, by giving to, by forgiving, by showing mercy, not just to people who love us, but to our enemies. Just like he did when we were his enemies, before he brought them to, brought us to himself. Well, then in verse 37 and 38, Jesus is going to elaborate a little bit further on mercy and forgiveness. He's going to talk about the reward that comes to us for being merciful and forgiving. And then in verses 39 through 49, he's going to finish the sermon with a series of five parables. He's going to finish it with five parables. Parable is a compound Greek word. It comes from the word para, which means alongside of, and balo, which means to throw. Parable comes from para and balo. Para means alongside of, and balo means to throw. So basically, a parable is a story that is thrown alongside of a spiritual truth in order to illustrate it. It's thrown alongside it. A parable always has to be interpreted in the context of the spiritual truth that it's illustrating. Now, there's five parables here. It would be possible to preach a sermon on each one. And they could be good and legitimate sermons um, within the overall context of Jesus' sermon. But what happens sometimes when we do that, when we take isolated things out of a greater whole and we focus in on that one thing, we have a tendency to lose the greater impact of what Jesus is teaching in context. So if we lose that greater context, then we end up focusing on a moralism like be forgiving. It's a good thing. Don't be judgmental. Take care of the poor. Don't be hypocritical. See, we focus in on one of those things when actually in his sermon, Jesus is showing us the kingdom of God. And he's telling us something very important about the kingdom. And we don't want to lose sight of that. So we're not going to take one of these parables and focus on it. We're going to talk about each one of them and how they all are related together in this. Because if we approach Scripture that way and we, we, we isolate things and take them out of their context, then we could see these parables as, as just a random group of stories that Jesus taught that would illustrate different truths. But in reality, they're all connected. They're all connected to what Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God. Um, I would even go so far as to say that it's possible 
to grasp a spiritual truth from a parable without even seeing what that truth is actually meant to point you to. And we'll illustrate that by reading from Matthew chapter 13. Just keep your, you don't have to turn over here, but you can if you want, and keep your finger in Luke 6. Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 10 through 17. And the disciples came and said to him, to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The point of that is Jesus could tell a parable, and someone could understand the parable. But if they don't understand what that parable is directing them to, which is him, they've missed the whole point. They've missed it altogether. So keep that in mind as we go forward. Here's an outline of the sermon. I'm kind of going to restate it. Verses 20 through 26 is what a kingdom citizen looks like. Verses 27 through 36 is what a kingdom citizen should act like. And we've already gone through those. We're going to pick up in verses 37 through 49. And verses 37 and 38 is a little bit more about the ethics of the kingdom. Verses 39 through 42 is man's ability to see the kingdom of God. And then verses 43 through 49 deal with entering the kingdom. You have to see it before you can enter it. And so we're going to go through verses 37 through 39. And we're going to look at what Jesus is teaching about each of these spiritual truths and how they're all connected and how it's all pointing us to see what the kingdom of God is all about. I'm going to read the text, starting in verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? 
A pupil is not above his teacher. But everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, and the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. And we'll begin by looking at verses 37 and 38. Do not judge. Judge not. The most famous statement in the Bible these days. Do not judge and you will not be judged. And do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, this statement there in verse 37 has been taken out of context by those who would promote lawlessness. I'm not going to spend the time reading all the passages where we are told to exercise discernment and to judge with righteous judgment. But they're in there. We are told to use our judgment and to use our discernment. What I am going to say is that that's not what this means. This does not mean that Christians are never to exercise judgment or discernment. What it is saying is that Christians aren't to self-righteously set ourselves up as judges over people. We're not to do that. We're not to condemn people outside of Christ. You understand they're condemned already. That's what John chapter 3 tells us. Those who are outside of Christ are condemned already. It's not up to us to condemn them or to sit in judgment over them. What we are to do is we're to love them, to pardon them, to forgive them, to show mercy to them, even to our enemies, just like God has done for us. That's what it's teaching us. In, in Matthew six fifteen, Jesus stated, But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. 
What Jesus is doing in this text is he's taking that principle and he's reversing it and stating it positively. What he's saying is, if we give others love, mercy, and forgiveness, then we will receive them back in the same measure that we give them. That's what he's saying. That's what this is telling us to do. It's not saying don't use good judgment. It's not saying don't be discerning and don't discern good from evil. It is saying we're not sitting in judgment over people. We are to love them. We're to be merciful. And we are to point them to Christ. That's what we're to do. And we do it by demonstrating what he's given us. What he has given to us is mercy. He's given us love. He's forgiven us. And that's what we're to do for others. Verse 39, and he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now, the first thing that you have to understand when you approach this is that a natural man cannot see the kingdom of God. So we have to understand that what Jesus is saying here in this parable is connected to the whole sermon that we've been involved in for the last three times that I preached. We have been involved in this sermon where Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God. And this is in that same context. He's talking about the kingdom of which he is the king, and he is announcing it. And he's saying here that a blind guide cannot guide a blind person into this kingdom. It cannot happen. So the first thing you have to understand is that a natural man cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm going to read a couple of passages to demonstrate that. I'm going to start in Isaiah 6. And I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. Actually, I'll start in verse 8. It's Isaiah speaking to the Lord. He's having this vision of the Lord. And he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. And the point is, they can't see. They can't hear. Their hearts are insensitive. Their eyes are dim. And in John chapter 3, Jesus is going to be very blunt and very direct with it. In John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul tells us that the natural man can't understand the things of the Spirit of God, because they're spiritually appraised. You have to have the, the Holy Spirit in you, directing your thinking in order to understand the Word of God, in order to understand, in order to see the things that God has for you. 
You have to be born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You can't be blind. In Matthew fifteen fourteen, Jesus had said of the scribes and Pharisees that they were blind guides of the blind. In Matthew twenty three thirteen, Jesus said of them that not only did they not enter the kingdom of God themselves, but that they prevented others from entering it as well. They're the blind guides that he's talking about here in this verse. He's talking about the religious leaders of the day. He's telling them they understand the scriptures. They can go through them. They've got them memorized. They can exposit them to you verse by verse, but they're blind because they don't see what the scriptures are directing them to. They don't see the kingdom. They don't see me. And that's the principle that Jesus is illustrating. A blind man cannot lead another blind man into the kingdom of God. So let's look at verse 40. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. If you look to a man's sight, if you look to a man to be taught of a man, then you're going to be conformed to the image of the man you're learning from. And you won't rise above the level of your teacher. That's what he's stating. Citizens of the kingdom of God aren't taught of man. They're taught of God. John chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Citizens of the kingdom come to Christ because they're taught of God. I'm not your teacher. I'm a messenger. I bring you the word of God. You can't hear what it says or see what it means unless the Holy Spirit gives you ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to understand. If God does open your eyes to see what the Scriptures are directing you to, what you will see is Christ. Not me. Not yourself. What you will see, if if God opens your eyes to see, you're going to see Christ and you're going to be conformed to His image. In verse 41, he says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. You're going to see a pattern here. All of this is about seeing. And it's all taking us to see something in particular. This parable is not about hypocritically thinking that someone else's sin is worse than yours. And that's what it's generally taught as. It's generally taught that, well, see, everybody's sin is the same. And 
You know, everybody's sin is just as bad, so don't nitpick other people's sins. That's not what it's talking about. It's not even talking about picking people's sins. What this is an example of, this is what Judaism looks like. This is what Islam looks like. This is what all of the religions of man look like. They're all the same. They're all, they're all a blind guide trying to guide somebody else's blind. Every religion except Christians, except for Christianity, every religion except for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, it amounts to one blind man who has never seen trying to lead another blind man who's also never seen, trying to give sight to him. And they don't even know what sight is. That's what the religions of man are. Jesus says the religious man who self-righteously thinks that he knows the way to make himself righteous before God, that man is doubly blind because he thinks he can see. He's doubly blind. And as long as he believes that he can establish his own righteousness, that he can somehow do something to make himself acceptable before God, any kind of religious activity, he can somehow enter the kingdom of God himself. He's blind. He hasn't seen yet. That's the point. And a blind man cannot guide another blind man. Verses 43 through 45. There is no good tree which produces bad fruit. Nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So not only do you have to be given eyes to see the kingdom of God, but you have to be given a whole new nature. You're either a good tree or a bad tree. A tree produces fruit according to its nature. And we'll produce fruit in our lives according to our nature. We all agree on that. I want to point something out to you that is commonly misconceived about this passage. There's a lot of different ideas about what this fruit is. Um, We were talking about, you know... People who have wrong ideas of what it means to proclaim the gospel. Fruit is not converts. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Now, converts are fruit. They're the fruit of the gospel. But that's not the fruit that Jesus is talking about here. And the fruit that Jesus is talking about here is not law-keeping. You know how I know that? Because he says a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Well, there are Christians who don't keep all the law, who break it sometimes. And it also says a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And there are non-believers who 
are pretty moral people. There are a lot of them who keep a lot of the law. It's not about law keeping. Just to illustrate it further, I'll give you an example from Mark chapter 10, in case you don't believe me. Verses 17 through 20. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And he said it with confidence. He hadn't broken those laws outwardly. You got laws you can keep, but you don't have to be a believer. You don't have to be a citizen of the kingdom. You don't have to be a good tree. And the truth is, we're by nature bad trees. Romans 8 makes that very clear. In verse 5, he says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. This is the bad tree. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, what does this good tree, bad tree illustration, what's it look like in us? What's the difference in us, in Christians? What's the difference between a good tree and a bad tree? Well, the answer is in verse 45. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. It's about the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it come the springs of life. Your nature flows out of your heart. It flows out of the treasure that fills your heart. You see, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. This is not about being innately good. It's all about seeing and treasuring Christ. Let me show you something from Matthew chapter 13 again. I'm going to read verses 44 through 46. We're still in parables. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. He saw it. And he bought it. He traded everything else for it. See, to enter the kingdom, you have to see Christ. Christ says, I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He's the doorway to the kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom, and he's the kingdom. He's all of it. And unless you see this, unless he becomes the treasure of your heart, when he is the treasure of your heart, when you have seen him for who he is, when you've seen your need for him, your helpless condition apart from him, and you come to him, the fruit of that is what he's talking about in this. That treasure in your heart is going to produce everything in your life. You know what's going to come out of your mouth if Christ is your treasure? Christ. I guarantee you, if OU football is your treasure, I know what's going to come out of your mouth when we have a conversation. It's going to be OU football. If you love to fish, you know what's going to come out of your mouth? Fishing. If you love your job, your occupation, if you love politics, you you get the point. Whatever is your treasure is what's going to come out. And if Christ is your treasure, if the kingdom of God is what you treasure, that's what's going to come out. That's the fruit that's going to be produced. You know, Paul says it another way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That fruit that comes out. Well, you know what that fruit describes? It describes Christ. The Spirit of God living in you, the Spirit of Christ in you, produces that fruit in your life, produces what comes out of your mouth whenever you speak. You speak out of that which fills your heart. And what's most important to you is what's going to come out. It's not about law-keeping. It's not about converts. It's about what is most important to you. And Jesus says, I'm it. If I'm not it, then you're not there yet. You haven't seen me. You haven't seen the king, and you cannot enter the kingdom. And if you didn't get it, verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I've said it many times, I'll say it again. You cannot claim to be a carnal Christian. You cannot. Christ is not your Lord if you don't obey Him, regardless of what you may profess. God would say, He said it through the prophets, He said it again through Jesus, but this people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's what Jesus is basically saying here in this. If we go over to Romans 6... Paul is going to explain it in detail, what Jesus is saying right here. In Romans 6, verse 16 through 23, 
Paul says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You became slaves of Christ. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. If you have seen Jesus, if you have come to see him and what he's done for you and who he is and his glory, if you've been born again, if you are a citizen of his kingdom, you're going to obey his voice. Not perfectly. He's perfect. You're not. But you're going to obey Him and you're going to want to obey Him. If you don't, there's something wrong. If you don't want to obey Christ, if you want to go to heaven, if you want eternal life, but you don't want Christ to rule over you as your perfect, glorious King, you haven't been born again. You have not. It's not about wanting to go to heaven. It's not about wanting eternal life. It's about wanting Christ, that pearl of great price, that treasure, and wanting Him more than anything else. That's what it means to see the kingdom of God. It's all about sight. Let's look at verses 47 through 49. Entering in. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. So, Jesus said a lot, I say to you who hear. He was speaking directly to those who got the point. They didn't just understand the immediate point, but they understand the overall point, that the whole thing is about Him. That's who He's speaking to, those who are mine. If you hear and obey the gospel, that means you've been given ears to hear, eyes to see, 
You've been given a new heart that desires Christ and His kingdom. And your life and your hope are firmly planted on the rock, this foundation, which is Christ. But if you hear the gospel, you may know lots of scripture. You may have lots of truths. But you don't really obey the gospel. It hasn't radically changed your life because it hasn't changed the nature of who you are and it hasn't changed the treasure of your heart. Your house is built on sand. Your life and your hope rest on what seems right to you. Which is true, really, for both ways. Because if you've seen Christ, that's where your life and your hope are going to be resting. Because you've seen Him. If you haven't, it's going to rest on whatever your mind thinks is right. Whatever seems right to you. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There's a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Your, your life is going to be founded on one or the other, either on this rock, which is Christ, that all of the Scriptures are pointing you to. That's the point. You know, we have a tendency, because of the way we think about things, we think about these religious leaders of the day as, as these evil guys that are just against Jesus, and it's just this, this bad thing. These are not evil people. By human standards. These are smart people. Moral people. Religious people. Successful people. Respected people. It's not... You know, and they're very self-righteous. We don't live in a world like that today, do we? Where people are very self-righteous in what they believe and what they think. You know, things haven't changed any. But their lives are built on sand. Because they're built on what they think. And they haven't seen Christ, the one who it's all about. And what happens is this flood is going to come. And when this flood comes... When it comes against that house, that life that is founded on this rock, that's anchored on the rock that Jesus is talking about, it stands. That life stands. That house stands. But the other one is completely and utterly destroyed. Completely and utterly destroyed. See, there's a, there's a kingdom that's going to exist forever. He's announcing this kingdom in this sermon. This kingdom is the kingdom of God. Christ is the king. That kingdom is here. And that kingdom is going to last forever. That kingdom is going to stand. Every other kingdom is going to be destroyed by this flood. And every person individually. What is a kingdom? You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones says one time, What is the world except you and me times a million? That's what it is. Kingdoms are made up of citizens, of the people. The kingdom of Christ is going to stand. Every citizen of his kingdom is going to endure, persevere. Everyone outside of that kingdom, when that flood comes 
And their lives are built on this sand. They're not founded on this rock. They're going to be destroyed. Utterly, completely destroyed. You know, people look at that and they say, well, it's talking about the storms of life. And, and yeah, maybe so. But it's, it's talking about something even greater than that. Because there's a storm coming, there's a flood coming that everyone is going to face. Everyone is going to face it. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell a story that I've, I've got some personal experience with this. About a year and a half ago, maybe a little more, I don't really recall, um, I had about a week where there were, I, I wasn't sure from one night to the next morning if I was going to be alive. Um, I didn't know it. I was in congestive heart failure. But I was sick. I couldn't lay down. Because if I laid down, my chest would fill up with fluid and I couldn't breathe. I would, I would have to, and I, for a while there, I could sleep a little bit setting up, but the last maybe three nights, I couldn't even sleep. I just sat up all night and prayed. But let me tell you something that happened. Yeah, this is a storm. It was a storm. It was a flood, really, for me. But I'm sitting there praying. And let me tell you what that storm did. That storm gave me peace. Because I'm, I'm sitting there praying, and I realize that if I live, I live for the Lord. And if I die, I die in the Lord. So whether I live or I die, I'm the Lord's. And you know what that storm did? It just took away every distraction and every thought and every priority that was keeping me from peace at that time. That's the way that storm is going to be for the child of God, the citizen of the kingdom of God. When that storm breaks against that house, it's just going to take away all of the garbage, basically, is what it's going to do. But if your life is built on something else, when that storm comes, you're not going to have a rock. You're not going to have that peace. When that storm comes, it's going to take away your life. It's going to take away everything that is your life. That's what Jesus is pointing us to. It's about seeing Him. Seeing the value of Him. Nothing else. There is nothing else besides the King and His kingdom and us being in Him. That's the point of the whole sermon. Do you see it? That's the thing. Do you see? I said that there was going to be a practical application in this for mothers. There is. You know, you can teach your... And there's a practical application actually for all of us. I'll start um, before I get to the mothers. We live in a world today where... People believe that it's okay to kill a baby if that baby is an inconvenience to you. And not only that, we live in a world where people believe you're evil if you want to take away their right to do that. Because of that, we talked about this a little bit in Equipping Hour, we can rationalize anything. We can make anything righteous. Righteous. 
We can make anything unrighteous, depending on, because our thinking is corrupted by sin. Now, are you going to change those people that have those beliefs? And these people that have these beliefs, many of them are members of Baptist churches. Pentecostal churches, Methodist churches. Are you going to change their thinking by beating them over the head with the law of God and saying, the God that you hate says this is bad, so you better not do it. And we're going to change laws to make sure you don't do it. Are you going to change them by doing that? No. But I can tell you what will change them. If they see Jesus, it will change them. That's... What we need, this is telling us how to engage the culture. Does that mean we shouldn't oppose abortion? No, we should definitely oppose it at every turn. It is evil and we should call it evil. But we should be merciful. We should love people who, except for the grace of God, would be us. And we should point them to Jesus. They're condemned already. We need to point them to Jesus. We live in another example, and I'm not going to beat the horse. But I mean, there, there are people that believe that you can change your gender at will. You know, and different things like that. All Any kind of ridiculousness that you can come up with, people believe it, and they will believe you're evil for opposing it. They'll say you're not very loving. You must not be a Christian. You don't love people like Jesus did. Well... You know what? The only way we're going to have an effect on that is to point them to Jesus. Because if they don't see Jesus, their thinking is corrupted by sin. They justify things that they love, and they love themselves just like we do. They're thinking just like our thinking. Is corrupt. Every part of their nature was depraved and was corrupted by the curse of sin. And that's why they believe some of these things. Don't look at someone who advocates for abortion and say, well, I'm sure glad I'm, man, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that person. I thank you, oh God, that I, I go to a, a church where they preach the truth. Well, I'm glad you do. And I hope the Lord uses it. But the reason why, if that person will enter into sin that you won't enter into. It's just the grace of God given to you in Christ. That is it. And we need to be merciful. We need to call evil evil and good good. We need to hold that up for the world to see. But more importantly than that, we need to hold Christ up for them to see. And we need to point them to Him because if they see Him, they will be changed. That's it. That's the only thing that's going to do it. That's the only thing that changed you. The only thing that changed you, if you're a believer today, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God today, the only thing that changed you was seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's all about sight. It's all about seeing. Mothers, there are a lot of things you can do for your kids. There are a lot, you can teach them lots of practical things, lots of skills. You can make them very moral. 
And by the way, both of these things are really good, and I hope you do. You can make them moral. You can train them up in the way that they should go. And when they're grown, they'll not depart from it. That's a good thing. You can make sure they get a good education. You can make sure they dress well and that they're clean. There's lots of things that you can do for your children. You can show them a good example in all of those things and to be responsible. Do you know what your kids need to see? Your kids need to see that your house is built on this rock. Your kids need to hear Christ coming out of your mouth. Not be good, brush your teeth, get a good education, get a good job. All those things are important. They're not bad. And I'm not saying don't do those things, but I'm saying the most, the most important thing that your children can see is Christ being your most important treasure, the only treasure that really matters to you. That's the most important legacy that you can leave them, mothers or fathers. Do you see him? That's the two questions I want to leave you with today. Do you see the king? And is he the rock that your hope and your life is resting on? Because if you don't, and he's not, then you are in trouble because there is a flood coming. It may come soon. It may come a little later for you, but it's coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for opening our eyes to see Christ. Lord, we just ask that you apply these things to our hearts, that you help us to to do all of the individual things, to, to stand for right and to to hold up what is good. But don't let us miss the most important thing. Help us to always hold up Christ first and foremost. Lord, if there's any here that haven't seen Him, that do not treasure Him above all things, I pray that You open their heart this morning, that they may bear good fruit, that we may bear the good fruit that comes from seeing and treasuring you above all things. Lord, we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand as we sing.